You're listening to Blissful Prospecting, and today we're talking to Kayla Citrin Thayer, an enterprise business development rep at Domino Data Lab, about how she uses LinkedIn videos to get 35 plus percent response rates. So I did a poll and I asked people what their favorite prospecting tool was. So if they had to pick between phone, email, and LinkedIn, what would they choose? And guess what? Most people picked LinkedIn, That which actually wasn't my choice. I actually like the phone uh, much better. And there was a few people that chose email. But what that made me think about is, you know, why would people choose LinkedIn and why do they often prefer it? And the thing with email is when we send an email to someone It's just text. It doesn't really humanize the person, especially if they don't put an image or a video or something. You just see it as an email. You don't even think about the person that it's from or anything like that. And when you call someone, you can hear their voice and there is some interaction, but you don't really see them. And you have this idea of what you think the person looks like in your mind. LinkedIn's really interesting because it kind of blends the two together, right? You can send text-based messages, but people can see your picture and your profiles one click away. So they can see if you're credible or not. The other thing with LinkedIn that's really hot right now too is these videos. So I'm really interested in this concept right now of how to get your prospects to humanize you, right? So how can you reach out to them in a way where they can easily see that you are a person and then decide if they want to talk to you or not, besides just looking at an email that they may or may not skim that immediately gets deleted. And that's something I've been thinking about a lot lately because I think that's really the next big thing is how do we as salespeople humanize ourselves so that prospects have an opportunity to empathize with us. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, my name's Jason Bay. I'm the host and my goal in this show is to help you think outside the script in your prospecting approach and share proven tactics and strategies for you to set more meetings with your ideal clients. I'm super excited for our guest today, Kayla Citrin Thaler. I hope I'm pronouncing your name, Kayla, correctly. Funny story, I had to message her an audio message, or send her an audio message, excuse me, on LinkedIn to get the pronunciation (laughs) of her last name, and I think I just butchered it. So sorry, Kayla. (laughs) But what I'm excited for in this episode is we're going to talk about a couple things with Kayla. So uh, one, she gets 35 plus percent response rates. So I don't know about you. That's incredibly high, right? My very, very best campaigns get response rates like that. And she's getting it through LinkedIn. And particularly, she's got a process that she uses for videos. So if you've ever have wondered, you know, how do people set a lot of appointments through video? Like, what do they say? What does their setup look like? How do they connect uh, the message to something that the prospect would actually care about? She's going to run you through all of that and a whole lot more. But before we get to the episode... Uh, quick announcement. We're hosting a summer virtual tour called Think Outside the Script. It's at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. And we're going to be talking about all kinds of stuff with about 42 speakers on there. Everything from how to send better cold emails, make better cold calls, how to use LinkedIn, how to use video. And it's free. It's live. It's starting pretty soon. Check that out at tour.blissfulprospecting.com. If you like this podcast, I think you're really going to dig it. So check it out. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. So I have to ask you first, though, because uh, I was on your LinkedIn profile and I saw that you said you occasionally binge shows on Netflix. What are you watching these days? Ooh, let's see. Um, I actually haven't watched a good Netflix show in months because of work, but under all-time favorite shows, probably The Office. I'll just have that in the background or trying to think. There was a good show, The Mindy Kaling Show. Never Have I Ever, I think that's what it's called. Like a very feel-good show. Interesting. So you're watching Never Have I Ever. That's a newer show on Netflix. We just started watching it yesterday. And the... uh, the thing that, so I, I get, so that you like that kind of genre of shows. Yes. Um, the thing that's really interesting about that show to me is, is, and I would only have this from like being married to a person of color. My wife is Korean and she's like, Jason, you only watch stuff with like dudes in it basically. <laughs> and uh, what sticks out to me about that show though, that's really interesting is you get this perspective from like a group of girls in high school 
that are all like people of color. And I don't know, that's like really relevant right now, especially, but it's so funny in a way that other shows are just not funny. Um, there's like a totally different kind of humor in there that I think is one, because they're people of color, but also it's because they're all women and it's not like that bro-y kind (laughs) of humor, but it kind of makes fun of the bro-y kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it's also similar to new girl in some ways. Yeah. Different way of like, never have I ever is really feels like it's relatable in some ways to like challenges that girls in high school deal with but in the way of it's kind of light but um yeah new girl is also a show that i'll watch forever and i wish i was so additional yeah <laughs> okay no, yeah um so you mentioned something around not having enough time because you're working that was something that stuck out to me about our first conversation is we talked about work ethic and i'm curious um how how do you strike a balance between work ethic and like just being like a straight-up workaholic because you said that you were coming into the offices on the Sundays and stuff, which uh, I've definitely been there before for sure. Um, but yeah, wh- how do you f- strike a balance between the two? What do you feel is the difference? So I always make it a priority to work out. And that's what's most important to me. And as long as I'm making time for that, I feel like there is a balance. I know anyone probably could be better at it. I probably could be better. But for me, it's about the longer term picture. So I just joined Domino less than three months ago, and I know that Mm. I have to make an impact early on. And so that's where I see it is it's a longer term play rather than a, hey, tomorrow, this is going to happen, but setting myself up for success for the next year or two years or five years down the line. I would say just make sure I make sure I have time to work out and just take time for self-care, but also work is a big part of my life. Yeah. So you look at it in sort of seasons or phases, it sounds like. Yeah. I think that's really smart because I don't know, there's this concept of balance that I think that people have a hard time finding in sales because it's so results oriented, right? You Like you can always do more activities. Yeah. <laughs> you can always, there's always time to do more appointments. Like I don't care who, like no one is so booked that they don't have time to do more. So, and I didn't think that we would talk about this, but I'm, I'm curious about like, how do you, from a mental standpoint, like let's say at the end of the week or the end of the day, like how do you know when it's time to like turn it off or where you just feel like, oh, okay, I put in enough this week. Like I feel good about that. So during COVID time, I have scheduled workouts with my friends three days a week. And regardless of what's going on, I will stop my work and do those workouts. Mm -hmm. I also have family dinners because I'm at home right now with my parents. We'll be moving Mm -hmm. up to the city when this all blows over. But I, I think probably five days a week we have dinner. And so I make sure that I'm doing those important things and building that into my schedule. And that's what's important for me to really build that balance and say, Hey, I need to take a break and step away. And that's the time where it's like me time or spending time with my family. That's cool. So, so there's like these non-negotiables yes. in life that you keep from a personal standpoint. That's super cool. And I don't know why more people don't do that. I think it might be a guilt kind of thing. Cause that's at least it is for me sometimes where, you know, when you don't schedule, if like, if I don't schedule time to work out and make it, it just doesn't happen. It's not something that I actually really enjoy doing a ton. You know what I mean? Um, but then having those scheduled breaks for me is, is a really big thing where it's like, Hey, I eat lunch at 11 o'clock every day. And I have a half hour with my wife also during that time where we're not working usually, unless it's like an emergency. Um, interesting. So the, the work ethic part of this, you had mentioned something before we started recording. I think there might be a connection here. You mentioned something about like, Hey, what really drives me in sales is, you know, I'm more in control. I can be the star of the team is sort of the, the wording that you use there. So if you look at not to get too deep, too deep or like therapy session here, but I'm curious, like uh, with your childhood and maybe like early adult life, did you always have this work ethic and the, like you didn't quite get the recognition that you feel like you wanted or like, what's the, what's the kind of the story um, behind there before we get into like your sales journey? Yeah. So I think 
Well, my love language is words of affirmation. So I think it's important to look at your love languages. But Mm -hmm. growing up, I was always a team player on every sport that I participated on. And no matter how hard I worked or how hard I trained, I was never the star. And so being in sales kind of drives a deeper, more psychological sort of manifestation of being able to be the star and it's in my control. There's no one stopping me. My skill set isn't stopping me. I'm in control of the results that I see. And I think that's also what drives me to work hard and see the bigger picture is I know that I'm in control and I know I have to put in the effort to see the results and no one else can carry me. I carry myself forward. Yeah, that's that's really cool. The I the part that I relate to is that yeah, I played sports and stuff and did well, you know, in high school. And I was like valedictorian. It was like a total, total nerd when it came to that kind of stuff. So I, I got like some recognition, but I was never like, I always wanted to be like really, really good at something. You know what I mean? And for me, I felt the same thing with sales. Like when I was 18, my first job was going door to door selling house painting services. And I kicked major ass in that. You know what I mean? And it's just like, I didn't know that I would be doing this thing. I never heard of even like, I didn't really know what sales was or like what commission was even. But there was that drive to like, oh, now like I feel like I'm reaching my potential. Is that an element for you to this potential? Like, am I like living to the best that I can right now and actually getting the most out of myself for what I'm capable of? Yeah, I think yeah. that I'm manifesting that in and being being able to really do it. It's not something that I will. I I'm I'm an all or nothing girl, so it's not. Mm hey, I can do this okay. And I think that's something with sports. Like I did my best, but I was never that great. And it's really saying, yes, I can shine. And I am a superstar in something that's in my control. Yeah. The sports, there's also this like physical component. Like I play basketball, you know, and I'm six foot, I'm not short, but that's kind of average height in basketball. And yeah, I couldn't dunk or anything like that. You know what I mean? So it kind of limits your... (laughs) (laughs) kind of limits your potential. But uh, so let's get into like how you got into sales. Cause one of the things that really sticks out to me again, just from our first conversation too, and our conversation today is this, uh, this concept of like, you're very open and willing to try new things, especially when it comes out to you, what you called getting above the noise, like really standing out. So like, how did you get into sales and like, how would you describe like your sales, like your sales style? Yeah. So I got into sit. I was selling shoes at a shoe store at one point in my life, okay. but I wouldn't say that's the same thing as software sales or or business development and in that way. And I was living in Santa Cruz and running my own social media company, and I decided that I wanted to work on a team, and I wasn't feeling challenged enough, also. And so I had talked to someone, Tamara Ford is her name, and we were on a social media panel together talking about how to be effective with your social media for a small business. And I reached out to her. I had originally applied at Looker for a, um, what's it called? I can't think of the word. But basically the people who stock the food and make sure everything is running smoothly on the back end. And they're called porters. And I had reached out to her and I said, I applied at Looker and I said, will you meet up with me? And her, in her mind, she was thinking that I was going to apply for a business development job. In my mind, I thought I was just talking to her about a porter job. And so we met up, talked about the job and I applied and I don't know how long the process was, but it was something that I just didn't put the dots together, although I had the skill set. So it's just interesting to come full circle and someone else realize that I had the right skill set to be successful in that role. Wait, so you shut up to work the first day and they're like, oh, you're going to be doing sales. And you're like, no. what the fuck? I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> no. I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> no. Well, in the, it was just like an informal chat. I said, hey, we were on the social media panel together. Oh, okay. Meet up with me. And she said, yeah, let's meet up. In my mind, I was thinking about the Porter job. In her mind, she was thinking about the business development job. I applied for the business development job. And then from there, landed the job and 
worked my way up from inbound to enterprise and aimed accounts. Mm-hmm. So was there anything from a learning curve standpoint, like maybe in the first three to six months that you were learning how to sell, was there anything that was like really hot, tough, like for you to pick up and figure out? So I think it was a looker is a technical product. Mm-hmm. So that technical knowledge also being able to get on a phone. My first, we did some practice mock calls and I remember my first or second mock call was one of the worst things ever. And my manager was like, you have a lot of work to do. <laughs> so, so these were like a cold call, like role plays or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So practice mock calls. That was something that I was just at the beginning horrible at, but at that point in time, Looker had an intern to hire program. And so I was an intern. And then at a certain point, my manager at the time, Lauren, and the director of um, sales development, Kyle Coleman, they heard a conversation I had and they realized that it just clicked. And we had a conversation and then I was hired on full time. Interesting. Yeah. So So the phone part, and we talked about this before, you're the phone is not your preference from what it sounds like yet you are someone that is able to like really break through and and uh your business develop like your thing is to set appointments right yes. <laughs> and normally what people would say is they really like like i really like the phone i you know we're i guess we're kind of known for like email and like the reply method stuff and i send a lot of videos to people but really i like the phone the most but you don't really like the like the phone that much it sounds like like what's what's why and and what's your What's your approach? How would you describe your approach to prospecting? Let's, we can kind of start to get a little more tactical here. Yeah. So I think I, in my head, it's always, how do I get above the noise? Mm-hmm. And I think when I'm reaching out to executives, they're getting calls all day. Well, most likely, or you don't have their number or you don't have their email. So how do you get in touch with them? LinkedIn. I am so heavy on LinkedIn and video. And I think what's really important is in the piece of video, your personality can come across and you can really communicate with someone, your body language. And it's, it's like a call, but upgraded in some ways. And I don't believe that calling doesn't yield results. I just think it's important to look at what's working for sales leaders For example, I follow Morgan Ingram all the time and I want to do exactly what he's doing because he sees results and he's super heavy on video and I've seen results from that. And I actually had a quarter at Looker where I made a lot of calls and through that quarter, I didn't book a single meeting with calls, although I booked all my meetings with video. Yeah, that's really interesting because there's this concept of kind of like knowing your style I guess. Um, I love videos. It, like if I'm going to send an email and I'm trying to get someone's attention, I usually won't just send a text based email because it, they take me a lot longer to write too. Yes. You know, yeah. if I can like with the personalization piece of the, you know, outreach, if I just open up the person's LinkedIn profile, open up Vidyard or whatever it is I'm using, I could just look for stuff right there. And like, it's, it feels more in the moment. I love what you said there too, about it, like being upgraded. It's, it's like an upgraded voicemail, essentially, right? It's the same exact thing, except for the person can see you and, and that kind of stuff. Um, so who are you prospecting to? Is it IT folks and security folks? Or who's the, what are the personas that you're calling into? So right now at Looker, it was all across the board, but mainly people in BI. But right now at Domino, it is people who are data science leaders. Data oh, data science. science that's what it was. But also IT, because our product covers the spectrum of data science and sort of like end-to-end data science and helping you with that. But I found more success with data science leaders. Mm -hmm. But in the end, it comes down to, are you doing your research? Are you reaching out the right way? Are you sending them something that's relevant? And are you making it about them and not about yourself? Yeah. Okay. I want to dig into that here in a second, but I have (laughs) to have you like dispel this myth because the common thinking out there is with it people, especially is that they don't open up emails with videos in them and that they're not on LinkedIn. And what I'm hearing from you is that's where you set all of your appointments with these folks. I disagree 
Um, I think nowadays everyone is on LinkedIn. Yeah. And I think LinkedIn is the way to go. I think, but also you have to touch people at, on different platforms. So it's saying, hey, I'm not just going to send all video on LinkedIn. I'm going to send them an email also. And I'm going to do a LinkedIn voice message. And I'm going to create different types of content on different types of platforms so that they something will hopefully resonate. So, for example, I have no idea whether a video, whether a regular email, whether a case study, whether a, a voice message on LinkedIn resonates with you personally best. So I'm going to do all of that. And I think with IT, maybe they are harder to sell into, but that's the importance is how do you get above that noise and how do you send different types of messaging so that you can hit them with the right type of messaging that resonates with them. Yeah. That's uh, God. What you said is so important. You're essentially saying, Hey, let's just do it and see what works and then just do what works. Yeah. Cause a lot of people bring in these misconceptions around stuff. So you do CrossFit, right? I read on your LinkedIn. Yes. So, Hey, you could look at CrossFit and be like, Oh, CrossFit's not great. It's a really easy way to get hurt because you lift heavy. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, there's some idiots that do CrossFit. <laughs> And like try to lift too heavy of weight, probably dudes, right? They do it. Um, but I think it's like really easy to make these assumptions about CrossFit or like people that do it. No different than, well, IT people. Because that, that's the thing I hear all the time. I'm like, they absolutely do respond. Because I know that there are thousands of reps out there setting appointments with IT and data science folks. So I think really good lesson there. So you've brought up this messaging thing a couple of times. So what are your thoughts on this? Because this is the other thing I hear, and I was actually doing a sales call with uh, some folks that sell to IT people, and and specifically in, in software development. And so I guess it's for software uh, development uh, engineers. And their thinking was, well, we have to talk about a lot of features in our messaging because that's what they care about most because they're technical. And you're already kind of like not like, <laughs> right? What are your thoughts on that? I think we have to get away from feature selling and into value selling. So mm -hmm. it's not saying you can add that in, but in a message or a video or whatever you're reaching out to them, me saying, Hey, data science practitioner, um, your life is going to be easier because you can use, okay, this is getting very technical. You can use your languages of choice, but what is we have to think about what is especially important to them on a deeper level of saying, hey, we have an open platform so you can use all your languages and do your workflows the way that you want to versus saying, hey, we have this tiny feature that could make your life easier. A feature most of the time won't put someone over the edge, but selling value will push them to that next point. So what is... Like, what is value? I mean, what will make their life easier? Mm -hmm. How will your product make their life better? So me trying to sell someone on a feature that most likely, and this is a blanket statement, so it could work. But for example, I could say, hey, data science leader, do you want to improve the bottom line? That is value selling versus saying, hey, well, we have this open platform and we can help your data science leader or your data science managers do this better. And we have this feature and this feature and this feature versus saying, hey, the overall value that you will see personally is going to be improving the bottom line and making faster insights from data and being more efficient. That's what they care about. And I think it also gets to the point of really knowing your persona and knowing what's important to them and on a deeper level, not just here's this feature, but how will it make their life better? Mm -hmm. How did you go about learning the personas and like what they really care about? Because correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't done the job of the people that you're prospecting no, to, right? Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> She's like, thank God. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Any data science could not. Uh, do any Python programming or anything. But I think an important piece is talking to my AEs who have been working in this field for a while and saying, what really resonates with these personas? Mm -hmm. 
and really talking to AEs who talk to these people on a daily basis and saying, what do they care about? What resonates with them? And I think that's where there just needs to be alignment of saying, hey, like on a deeper level, not features wise, but what value and how will this make their life better? How will this improve their company? How will this make them more efficient? And talking to the people who have been doing this for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing that I do uh, typically when we're working with at least groups of SDRs that have not done the full cycle sales is I'll just go in and listen to you know Gong, Chorus, whatever uh, platform that they're using to record the discovery calls with that the AEs are doing or the demos. And there's so much gold in there in terms of when they really get a prospect to open up about what their pain points are or why they even wanted to take the meeting in the first place. Is that the kind of stuff that you're talking about, like that language that those prospects use to talk about what they care about, why they're looking into the product, and then you're incorporating that into your messaging? Yeah, I think it's it's a mix of that. And I think it's also a mix of like every company has, here's what's the challenges that prospects are dealing with, but mm-hmm. it doesn't always have those laid out by persona at the different yeah. levels. So for example, I want to know at there's two types of data science leaders. We have our leaders who are VPs, who are C-suite, and then we have our managers. They're both leaders in data science. They, comp- they care about two completely different things. Those VPs care about how can I improve the bottom line, be more efficient. Those managers care about, hey, how can my team take on more projects and add more value? And so I think it's really breaking your personas down a little bit deeper and knowing the value, listening into calls, talking to AEs, talking to other BDRs or SDRs um, who are on the front lines talking to people and really seeing on a deeper level what they care about and getting away from feature selling to value selling. Yeah. I think it's a really good exercise to do there where like actually talk to your AEs like this work together. Is there a regular cadence of when you guys talk? Is this like every day we talk about this stuff? Is there a meeting that you guys do together? How do you work in tandem with your, your AE? Yeah. So I have four AEs that I work with and we have a weekly meeting and actually some insight into a different way that I work with these AEs than I've worked with AEs in the past that has really played to our advantage is my AEs do some of the research for the people they want to reach out to. So they're doing those Boolean searches. They're saying, Hey, at this company, For example, let's say it was Coca-Cola. I want to hit this VP. I want to hit this manager. I want to hit this director. Then I have this list and I can prioritize my time into researching these people and sending personalized messaging. And I don't think this is the approach that a lot of SDRs or BDRs have with their AEs, but it's really played to our advantage because I can spend my time doing those activities that are important. And it it leaves the guesswork out of it. I don't have to say, is this poor, is this person important to you? I know that they would want a meeting. It's a win-win. So yeah, yeah it, works well. it sounds so simple, but for, from my, uh, <laughs> from talking to folks like you, I did an interview with someone a, a week or two ago. I can't remember exactly who it was, but the same sort of thing where it's like, Hey, I actually go to my AE and, and I have them basically tell me like, dude, what are the top accounts you want me to actually prospect into? And who, most importantly, who are the people? Mm-hmm. And then they kind of prioritize their time that way where sometimes the SDR or the BDR do more of a bottoms up, you know, maybe approach and the AE will work top down and they're like, oh, they're working together to break yeah. into the account versus you just completely guessing, right? What they want. And then, and then having stuff kicked back or people being frustrated that you're setting up meetings with them with the wrong people. So yeah, I think that's a really good thing. It's, it sounds like you guys are working really well together too. Uh, what about, what about messaging? So like, what's the approach? Let's say you want to get a hold of uh, a VP of data science. What does the, like, when you start thinking about what you want to say to these people, how do you even start structuring what you want to say and what you think will resonate with them? So I think the way that I break it down is I start with persona and that's sort of the value prop on the domino side. And then I'm doing research and saying, okay, how can I find something that's important to them? So it's really that personalization of, hey, I did my research on you. For example, if someone lists football on their LinkedIn, 
I can make a creative connection with, hey, I know you like football. Something that is important to football teams is that their teams work together and collaborate. And that's something that Domino helps with. We help data science teams collaborate. That's cool. Or someone says, for example, hey, I I was doing, actually, I was personally doing research on someone who had written an article about data science and beer. And on the article, he mentioned, hey, I don't like hoppy beers. And so you make the connection of, hey, I was doing research, saw you had written a really interesting article about data science and beer. I know you don't like hoppy beers. And something that we hear from other data science leaders that they don't like is this, this, and this. Would you be open to a conversation? Yeah, that's cool. So you're taking this, because one of the things I talk about with personalization a lot is, is it has to be relevant. So if you just said, hey, I saw you like this football team anyways, uh, what we do, you know, that's what most people do when they're prospecting. What's, your, what's going through your head in terms of, because it seems like you do it pretty intuitively, how, how are you making those creative you know, connections? Like, what are you thinking about when you're customizing this message and having to connect it in a way that isn't really obvious at the surface level? I think the fact that I have like a very both creative and organized brain really plays to that advantage. But I'm just looking for nuggets of something that shows that I did my research and I know something important about them. It could be anything. And I think where potentially people aren't reaching full potential is they think, oh, this has to be work related when it doesn't. And I think it even resonates more in some ways, sometimes when you're just calling out something that they like and that's important to them. And maybe it feels less salesy in a way because you're talking to something that isn't work-related. Like football is not work-related, but I've made a comparison. I've been creative. And at the end of the day, it's showing that you care about them. You care about who they are. And something relevant to them that might be a challenge that they're dealing with, not a feature a challenge and selling yeah. that, that value. And it's more so I think on the piece of video, the creating the video and doing the research, than the actual content of that video, because they say, wow, Kayla took time out of her day to actually know about me as a person. And that's also getting away, away from the, me, 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 and saying, what does my prospect care about? What's important to them? Let me show them that I care and that I'm authentic when I do it. No, that's, that's cool. The, so you mentioned a couple of things in there I'm curious about with the, so what do you do if you can't find anything on the LinkedIn profile? Like what if you can't find something personal about the person? So if I'll start with LinkedIn, I'll go to Google that's the second place I'll go to see if I can find anything about them. I'll go on Twitter. I'll see if they have a GitHub. I'll see if there's a video on YouTube. I'll see if there's a podcast. I Do you will look on someone's personal profiles too, like their Facebook or Instagram or anything if it's public? I will stray away from Facebook and Instagram, yeah. but I will go to Twitter because I feel like that crosses the line of personal versus professional, even though yeah. I can still find information on someone that is very personal through a Twitter, but I think it sort of is on the side of professional. Yeah. It's not creepy. No. I mean, like it's if still you wanted to someone's Instagram <laughs> and saw that like pictures of their kids and said, Hey, I noticed you have really cute kids anyways, you know, like it's, it's weird. Or I saw, Hey, I saw you have a golden retriever. Yeah. I, on the flip side though, actually this was on Twitter though. And I think it can work. I sent a video to someone saying, hey, I noticed you ride motorcycles a lot. So I hope you're having time to ride motorcycles. And he had tweeted something about his kitten and tweeted something about his bird. And so I brought those up. I think you have to like feel it out and test it. I think yeah. it's all about testing also of saying, hey, let me try to create some videos that have really personalized stuff and create uh. some that have less. But to get back to your point of research, I will exhaust all those places and do an industry search of, hey, company plus data science or company plus machine learning or whatever it is. If I've exhausted that and I cannot find a single thing, I will do persona-based messaging. Okay. 
you know, it'd be a good subject line for that person. It's just like kittens and motorcycles, <laughs> you know, that's going to get opened. He did book a meeting though. It was a video that I left and he said, yeah. I'm not the right person, but here, talk to my team. So one, one thing I want to dig into before we uh, talk about what you're saying on videos, because you're getting like a 25% plus response rate or something crazy to your I'm videos, right? Getting a 35 plus percent response rate. Damn. Yeah. Um, you mentioned pain. And uh, yeah, I, I was curious, like with your messaging, do you try to focus on pain and gain in the same message or are some messages focus more on pain points and other more on gain type of thing? Or what are your, what are your thoughts on that kind of approach? I think I change it by persona. And I actually okay. haven't thought about it that way because I'll usually just do a talk track based on my research. But I think with, depending on who they are and what their position is, like a data science leader, I'll say you can improve the bottom line, be more efficient. If they're a manager, it's about, hey, you can take on more projects. I know some some challenge you might be dealing with is this, that, or the other. And also you can see when people have moved up also, I'll use that. So for example, if someone used to be a data scientist and they moved their way up to a data science manager, I can also say, hey, I know you were previously in a data scientist role. I assume some of the challenges you were dealing with is this, that, the other. I assume you also want to drive your team forward and help them be more efficient. And so that's a piece of empathy of them saying, yeah, I did deal with that. And it's not great that my team is dealing with that. Let's see if we can have a conversation. Yeah, it's a it's oddly a form of social proof, I think, too, right? Where you're kind of talking and you're talking as if you talk to a lot of other people like them. Yeah. And that's like so important to do, especially in email, to like just show that you know a little bit about what it's like in their world based on conversations you have with people exactly like them. Interesting. That's always a controversy, I feel like, with prospecting is like, do you focus on pain? And I feel that people not that you're doing this, tend to, because I catch myself doing this all the time, like over-focus on the pain. And sometimes the pain is just not there. You know, because yeah. when you look at the products that you buy, not everything is driven by pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, let's talk about your videos. So what does, if you can just kind of demonstrate, like what does, what does a video sound like? And maybe share the detail too. Like, do you hold up a whiteboard with your name on it or anything like that? Like, how do you, how, what's your approach to video? So I will use Drift and I'm looking at their LinkedIn. I'm not scrolling. I'm keeping just like a straight page. And I will just say, thanks so much for accepting my request. I noticed this. And then Domino value prop. Would you be open to chatting? So, so you do the screen share of the video. Yeah. So, so they see that the preview image is of their LinkedIn profile. So that's a way of kind of accomplishing a similar thing to the holding the board yeah, or paper, piece of paper with her name. Yeah. And I think that people can see that it's their profile. And so they know that you aren't mass sending this to anyone else. You couldn't yeah. do this and send this exact message. And I think that's the most important thing. If I had a whiteboard that I said, Hey John, I know you're dealing with this. I can send that to every John that I know. If I'm on their profile, then I can't, I can't change that. I don't have special (laughs) editing. Um, I think it does work though. I was on a happy hour with uh, that Morgan host and Nikki was taught Nikki Ivy uh, was talking about how she does whiteboard. And I think it's at the end of the day, being true to yourself and testing things out. It doesn't feel right for me, but I would say if it feels right for you and you want to do it, try it. Why not? Yeah. I'm a fan of the whiteboard. I like yeah. it. It works. But uh, yeah. the screen share is awesome too, because like you said, you, you can't fake that. You can do that with uh, someone's website too. Um, yeah. So can you share just a little bit more detail around like what an example message might sound like? Because I think people have this, like, especially your value prop, uh, uh, misconceptions maybe around what a value prop is and might not really know even what that sounds like. So if you're sending a video, for example, to, you know, VP of data science or something like what is the thing that you might pick out and how would you even tie that back to your value prop? So I think it varies. Like what I touched on before, of mm-hmm. if they have something personal, I will touch on that. Um, 
I will give you an example of someone who I haven't booked a meeting with yet, but agreed to a meeting. So I saw on his LinkedIn that he said he loves Pixar. Great. Picking that up. That's a great point. I saw also on his Twitter that he had had poor customer service with his Google Pixel phone and his headphones. Great. That's another point. So weaving those in and being creative. And there was a third article I saw on his Twitter of, and I actually clicked into it and read it, which I think is very important, at least to skim over stuff, not just to go off of the title. And it said scaling data science. But actually, if I when I read the article, it talked about openness. And that's something that Domino helps with. That's more on the feature side of things. But he shared that article, so I'm going to talk about that. So if I was to send him a message, I would say, hey, person, (laughs) thank you so much for accepting my request. The reason for my video today is I noticed that you had shared an article about scaling data science. And so I assume that scaling data science is important to you. But also when I read about that article, something that it talked about was the importantness of openness. And that's something that Domino helps with. And additionally, what I noticed when I was scrolling through your Twitter is you had tweeted about two subpar customer experiences. And I know that I hope you figured out the situation with your pixel and got it all figured out. But something at Domino that we pride ourselves on is our customer support. And this is why Gartner rated us as one of the highest vendors in terms of customer support. And at the end of the day, I would love to chat about Finding Nemo versus Toy Story if you have extra time and let me know. Actually, I wouldn't say let me know, but would you be open to having a conversation? Yeah. No, that's so awesome. And if I was putting that into an email, that's like the perfect subject line too. It's like (laughs) Pixar, Google Pixel. Uh, or finding Nemo versus this, you know, like that's going to get opened every single time. I'm so impressed with your ability to like take uh, what seemed like very random things and totally like connect it in a way that doesn't feel forced either. Like the fact that you put that into the call to action is, is pretty badass. Yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, The other thing too, with your videos, it sounds like too, is you're not, and there's like debate around length of content and I, I've always been of the philosophy that if the content's good with, you know, without like mentioning the extreme, obviously if you have a five minute video, people are probably not going to watch it. Right. But it doesn't sound like you're like, Oh, it's gotta be 30 seconds or less, or it's gotta be less than 60 seconds. Like what you did just now was a, a decent length, but like it had me hooked the entire time and it was related and it told a bit of a story. Yeah. And I think that's the key. I think as you're this has been a journey of many years. So it's been since 20, November, 2018, probably January was when I started doing video of 2018. So it's, it's been a progression, but I think an important piece for people who are starting out in video is try to call out one thing and don't get caught up on saying, I have to call out five things. Focus on one thing that you can be creative and tie into your value prop. And I think that's a good place to start versus overcomplicating it and saying, hey, you need to touch three points. Mm -hmm. And I think on the piece of length, I try to keep it under a minute and a half. But if there's really important stuff to say that's relevant to them, someone will listen. Yeah, no, agreed. With your video, any other tips that you feel like you've picked up along the way? Because it sounds like, how many videos do you think you've sent out to prospects, by the way? A lot. Um, During Domino, probably in the past three months, 250 plus videos. It's crazy. Um, Any other tips would you say like, actually a better way of asking this would be when you were first starting to send videos, if you could go back to that time and, and give yourself advice knowing what you know now, what would you tell yourself? Yeah. So if I was to go back, I would say focus on personalized videos. So the way that it started out with me is I was at our SKO and John Barrow said, try out video. And that's what stuck with me at our SKO. I went back and I started to do scalable videos of saying, hey, you are in e-commerce. 
here, I'm going to send you a video. I then changed it to sending videos to people and saying their name and their company, but no real value prop and no real creativeness. And so I would say really how you're going to take it to the next level is finding one important thing about that person, work related or not, and tie it into your value prop, be authentic, be in a lit room, make sure I'm really bad at this, but make sure you're not moving your hands around and follow people on LinkedIn who are using video and who are thought leaders and take what they share and try it out. And something I really, really believe in is if something's working, continue to do it. If something isn't working, try something else and continue. And I think a lot of times people aren't open or they have a fear or they aren't making the time to do video. And I just believe in the importance of video and trying different techniques out and really seeing what works for you. And that's what's important is trying it out, making time to try it out. And the perfect time, if you say, well, my hair needs to be perfect or oh, it needs to be a perfect script, you will never send out the videos that you need to send out. So don't be a perfectionist, be human and show up and record videos. Yeah, no, that's great advice. I, I send videos all the time where I mess up and be like, oh, excuse me, you know, like, oh, anyways, uh, <laughs> you know, and it, and it just makes it more human. You know, it doesn't yeah. look so polished. Um, okay, so one one other uh, just quick thing. So it sounds like a big part of your strategy is let's connect with them on LinkedIn. And then when they accept the connection request, I'm sending a video. How long do you wait to send the video? I'll send it right away. So I okay. have a shell cadence. Thirsty. That I, yeah. <laughs> I accepted my request. Yeah. Um, you know, something's coming. I just haven't, yeah. I haven't done a hard sell yet. Um, yeah. But I think, The biggest piece is also building out a shell cadence. And so what a shell cadence is, is just having days that you do certain activities and building out blocks and being organized in the way that you do video. So I will have a day where I will spend two hours just researching people. And then once I research those people, I will have another block of time where I'm just creating video. And so this is how I stay organized versus saying, hey, I'm going to record this and then I'm going to do this next step and this next step versus keeping it really, keeping really focused at the task at hand and not switching things up to many different pieces and really staying focused on that core activity. Interesting. So you're breaking up the parts of sending a video into multiple pieces where I want to know who I'm going to send these to and then I want to know what I'm going to say to them. And then I'll send videos all at once. And I imagine you can rip out a ton of videos all at once that way. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's just about being organized. And I mean, I will send videos to people right after they've accepted. I mean, people send cold emails. No one's opted into their emails. So I think it's at least there's a bit more of trust because someone's saying, hey, yes, I've accepted your request yes, you can send me a video. And I think that's why the reply rates have been so high. Um, And I think that's why people respond well, because I'm also not sending a message when I connect with them initially, because when I get those messages and someone has an agenda, I will not accept their request unless it's a really good personalized message or really good agenda. But 99% of the time, if someone sends a message, unless it's super personalized or something relevant, I will not accept the request. So you you use no message in the connection request. Mm-mm. Interesting. I have been experimenting. I don't really know what to actually do because I think a lot of it is, and there's lots of conflicting advice out there on this. Obviously do whatever works best for you, but I think a lot of it has to do with what's on your LinkedIn profile. If, if you send a connection request and I'll accept anyone's connection request unless they pitch me in the connection request. That's pretty much what I'll do. But right. um, if the person looks at your profile and it's really clear that your person, someone that it looks like they want to connect with, I, that helps. That's the part that I feel like people aren't really talking about is you better have a badass profile and really explain what you're doing if you're not going to put a message in the connection request. Yeah, I think that brings up a great point is too often we're focused on 
hey, I need to connect with all these people. I need to create these lists. I need to do all these activities. How can I up my personal brand so that people want to connect? Like, do you have an about? Do you have featured content? Do you have pieces of content that you've added on your LinkedIn that are relevant to your current position and making sure that your profile is complete? And I think I overlook that to a certain extent. I didn't have an about till I saw Morgan's and I was like, oh, I probably should have an about me. And then people can relate to you also. Like I have CrossFit on my profile. Someone who's doing CrossFit could say, oh, that's really cool. I do CrossFit also. Someone who binge watches Netflix. Oh, cool. I do that also. Yeah. You're giving people a way to empathize with you and like humanize you. They get a video and they see you. Oh, Kayla seems like a cool person. Okay. And they go to the profile. Oh, she's an actual human being that does more than just sell shit. You know what I mean? Um, I love that. Okay. One quick question before you take off is, uh, what do you do after that first message? If they don't respond to the video, what's next? Oh, I'm still, I have my shell cadence. I am still hitting them up. I am sending them LinkedIn voice messages. I'm sending them relevant content. I'm sending them other types of messages. And I think that goes back to the piece of switching it up. And so having a shell cadence of what days you're sending, what type of content and mixing it up. I'm still, they've accepted my request. So they know I am going to continue to message them. And do you take it to email as well? Yeah. So I have a few email steps, but they're pretty personalized and I used to throw people on cadences, which I think is a shortcoming of in my past. Another piece of advice that I would have given is do not ever throw someone on a cadence that is unpersonalized. And I think the big piece is having personalized emails and LinkedIn and mixing it up with the type of content, the different platforms, maybe mixing in some calls, but really not giving up after one try and continuing. You've put in the effort to create a video, like capitalize on that and continue to reach out to them. And you've done all the work to research them too. Yeah. So, um, cool. Well, Hey, this has been great. I've learned a lot about just video and in your, uh, approach, but really how you approach like messaging is, uh, is, is pretty cool too. And, uh, hearing your perspective on pain versus gain and sort of where you change based on persona has been cool. Um, so before you take off, where, where do you want people to go to connect with you? LinkedIn. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'll make sure to link up to, into the show notes because you definitely have to check out, uh, Kayla's LinkedIn. So, I uh, appreciate you coming on. This is awesome. Thank you so much. That was a ton of fun. Uh, great interview. I really enjoyed the part around, I mean, just the part I'm so impressed with is her ability to connect, you know, very personal things and what the person cares about into the actual value prop. Um, so that's my biggest takeaway is how do you connect that personal thing and what does that indicate that that person might care about? And then how can you tie that into something you care about or that your company cares about? That's my big takeaway. Uh, one quick ask before you take off, if you could leave a quick review on the podcast on iTunes, that would be great. It helps get more exposure so we can continue getting on great guests like Kayla. You can do that at blissfulprospecting.com slash iTunes, or you can just search for blissful prospecting in your podcast app. Leave a quick honest review. Would really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.